Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. It's a blessed thing to humble ourselves and remember our position before a Lord who is full of grace and truth. Amen? Well, we continue on with our sermon series, Bringing Prosperity to Your Community. We are using Jeremiah 29 uh, as our, our sounding board to, to jump off of and look at how we are to live as resident aliens, how we are to make our living among the pagans. And the scripture says, don't hold back. Uh, don't undermine the city. Don't undermine the pagans around you. Try to prosper them. Increase in number. Give your daughters in marriage and have children and increase the city. Increase the believers count in the city that you're in and bring prosperity by you prospering in the city. Seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the city. God has put you here to better you, just like God put the Israelites into exile so they could better them. Before I go on any further, I just remembered it's somebody's birthday today. Last week, we had a lady who had reached the age of 95, and today is Mary's birthday, Mary Schaffner, and she's reached the age of, I don't know, and I'm not going to get in trouble for saying it, but you wish her a happy birthday before you leave today. Happy birthday, Mary. But Paul tells us that we're resident aliens in this world. Just like the Israelites were resident aliens in Babylon, we today are resident aliens. Peter says that we ought to live such great lives around the pagans that Everyone recognizes us as believers, as godly people. It'll be like if you say something bad against one of the believers, if they say something against Dusty, everybody go, we know Dusty. He's such a great guy, you've got to be kidding us. He says, live as free people. Live as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, love the fellowship of the believers, fear God, and honor those who are in power. Give them the honor they're due. Well, that's kind of hard. So we've been asking ourselves, how do we as believers live with integrity and have influence in a culture that doesn't share our same values? And so we've gone to the book of Daniel. And so this morning I'm asking you, open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel or your electronic device. Or some of you are kind of old, Preston, open your scroll, buddy. Daniel, chapter 4. Somewhere between Ezekiel and Hosea, you will find the book of Daniel. Please turn to chapter Four. We've been going through the chapters one by one. In chapter one, just as a review, we looked at Daniel has, has been conquered. The Israelite nation has been conquered and drugged into exile, and they're living as aliens in Babylon. 
Everything that's sacred has been defiled. The temple has been defiled. They've taken out uh, all, the, all the utensils out of the, the temple, and they've put them in pagan temples and are using them there. Most likely, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego have been emasculated. Their, their manliness has been taken away from them uh, in this exile. Their identities have been removed. They've changed their Hebrew names into Babylonian names. And, and they took godly names, godly Hebrew names, and, and they've given them Babylonian names. And not just any Babylonian name, but Babylonian names that reflect the gods of the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar is doing his best to assimilate these, the leadership of the Israelites into Babylonian culture. We learned that to bring prosperity to your community, we want to respectfully stand out, right, in chapter 1. We don't want to pull back. We don't want to fight back. We don't want to give in. But consistently, through the book of Daniel, Daniel stands out, respectfully stands out. He uses words over and over again like, please, and your majesty. And we see phrases like Daniel asked. Not Daniel demanded or Daniel commanded, but Daniel asked. Statements like, O king, may you live forever in chapter 5. Or excuse me, chapter 6. Daniel consistently, respectfully stands out. We also learn in chapter 1 that we're going to have to resolve not to defile ourselves. Remember Daniel and, and his buds, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they decide they will not defile themselves. There are certain things in our life, even though we live in a pagan culture of many unbelievers, there's going to be some things that we just can't do. And we're going to have to resolve not to defile ourselves. We also learn in chapter 2 that having influence in our culture usually happens at great conflict, with great threat and inconvenience with that culture. People of, of courage are going to learn quickly to stand out. It's going to cost us resources and time and energy, and it's probably, Don, never going to be convenient for you and I to stand out in our culture. We also, also learned that desperation doesn't mean that you do away with wisdom and tact. Even while Daniel is looking down the long end, the wrong end of a sword, he speaks with wisdom and with tact. We learn from this, even when we're at our wit's end, even when things look really bad, Phyllis, we have to use wisdom and tact. We just can't say everything that's on our mind. You ever meet somebody that had a fiber channel from their brain to their mouth and everything they said just went right out? No, there, there needs to be a filter. There needs to be a, a switch in between that controls what we say and what we think and how we act, even in desperation. In chapter 2, we also learn living with integrity and having influence is a team effort, right? As soon as it looks really bad for Daniel 
and all the other people who should be able to interpret a dream, Daniel runs to his buds and says, hey, we got to pray about this. We've got to go together as a team and pray to God. And we as the church, when things go wrong, when things look desperate, Jack, we've got to come together and pray for one another. Isn't that what we were doing just a few minutes ago? Coming together as a fellowship of believers to pray for some things, some terrible things that have happened in our congregation. Chapter 2, we also learn that kings and kingdoms come and go, but the kingdom of the rock lasts forever. Remember the Babylonian kingdom, the Medes, the Persians, they all thought they were it. And so has every other great culture, Don, through time, thought they were it. But they've all passed. They've all gone. But this one kingdom, the kingdom of God, lasts forever. Sometimes we as Americans make the mistake of thinking that we're all that. And we're so great. And our kingdom will last forever. But there is only one kingdom that's going to last forever. If you don't believe that, read Revelation. There's two teams. One wins, one doesn't. Get on the right team while you got a chance. Then in chapter 3, we ask the question, how do you stay loyal to a God when your faith is under fire? When the pressure's on. When, when culture's really pushing on you to give in, give up, and blend in. And we said, first, got to trust God enough to meet God in the furnace. We have to believe that God is going to be with us in the tough times of life. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego get thrown into the furnace, but it's in the furnace that the presence of God is there. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar rises up and he looks into the furnace and he said, whoa, 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 we threw three tied up guys in there, but I see a fourth, like the Son of God walking around with them. Sometimes to know and have the presence of God, we're going to have to enter into some really tough situation on God's behalf. But I guarantee you, if you're loyal to God and your, your motivation is to glorify God, God's presence is going to be there with you. We studied that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? We're not deluded. We know that if we're going to stand for what's right, that there are going to be times in our life that we're persecuted, that we get pushback from other people, that we look, get looked down upon by other people. But that's okay because we know that they hated him before they hated us, right? Remember we talked about uh, Chin Min Lin and how he dealt with the terrible things that happened to him in that Chinese prison but because he had the right attitude and because he recognized the presence of God it turned into a blessing where he might spend days of meditation in prayer and thanksgiving chapter 3 we also learn that liberation comes in the fire, right? Sometimes what we need is a fire in our life 
to burn off the things that really have us tied down. There are some of you who know exactly what I'm talking about because you've dealt with addiction in your life and until you really got into the fire and had to deal with it, could you break free from it? But it's in the fires of life that we really discover what's important. Amen? Amen. So we come to the book of Daniel, chapter 4 today. For you note takers, the title of the sermon is Stumped in Arrogance and Prosperous in Humility. Stumped in Arrogance and Prosperous in Humility. Stumped in Arrogance, there's this great story that Chan Gailey tells. Chan Gailey is a great uh, coach. He's worked for the Buffalo Bills, the Denver Broncos, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Miami Dolphins, Georgia Tech, Kansas City Chiefs, and the New York Jets. But it was in 1984 when he was really getting to rolling that he was the Division II championship at, the, at Troy State. He was the head coach there. And the year before he got there, they had a measurable season. And the first year there, they had a 12-1 and season. Mary, could you imagine the Razorbacks with a 12-1? and we'd, we'd put a statue up on the middle. We'd tear down the Fayetteville Post Office and put that coach's statue up, wouldn't we? And he's really pumped about what he's done. He's come in and he's turned around things. And one day, he, he gets ready to go out on to the practice field with his players and he's running out onto the field and the, the secretary burst out of the office and she says, Coach, Coach Gailey, you got a phone call you need to take. He said, just, just take a message. I'm getting ready to go out onto the field with the players. And she says, no, it's Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated, I'll be right there. Be there in just a second. Tell him to hold. So Chan walks back into his office. He says, at this time, he said, my head began to swell. And he said, I was full of all this imagery. He said, I, I was thinking they want to do a full article on me. How many pages long will it be? Hey, will it be a picture of, of just me in a suit and tie? Or, or will I be out and, and gruff on the field? Or will they take a picture of me with my team? Or, or maybe, maybe with the students because, it, because there's such a, a, a following here at Troy State and, and they'll want to get a picture of me and how I've encouraged the whole college to come together. And he walked to the phone and he said, my heart was just pumping and my chest was popped out. And he said, I grabbed the phone with full confidence and said, Coach Chan Gailey here. And she said, yes, sir, this is so-and-so from Sports Illustrated. Yes, I know. Yes, Mr. Gailey, we noticed that your subscription is about to run out. <laughs> A lot of people would have been upset with that. Totally disappointed. But Chan was a member of the church, a believer. And he knew right then 
that more than his players needed his coaching, his ego and his arrogance needed some good old-fashioned humbling. And he needed to humble himself before the Lord. And today I, I want to share with you that, that some people are really easy to come to humility. Some people, and, and I don't say us because I'm not one of those. Some people really have a humble heart. And their heart's humble all the time. And then there are some of us who could write the book, Humility, How I, Came, How I Overcame It. Do you know people like that? Do you know people that might have already written that book and are holding it back for just the right time? Well, one of these people who could have written that book is King Nebuchadnezzar. And chapters 1 through 3 and then chapters 5 and on is the story of Daniel and Daniel's life and Daniel's dreams and Daniel's aspirations for Israel and Daniel's story. But in the middle, between 3 and 5, we break in with a personal letter from King Nebuchadnezzar. So I want you to see this morning, this is not Daniel who's writing to you. This is not Daniel who's speaking to you this morning. This is King Nebuchadnezzar writing his personal testimony to you and I. After 2,600 years, this letter is still a testimony on how to live and who God is and who God isn't. So go with me as we read this personal testimony from King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. To the nations and the people of every language who live in the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. He's saying, I want to tell you about this thing that has happened to me. Listen to him. This is such a change from the old Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to him now. How great are his signs how mighty his wonders his kingdom is eternal is an eternal kingdom his dominion endures from generation to generation wow that's a lot different than the king we read about in first second and third daniel what's happened i nebuchadnezzar was at home in my palace content prosperous and I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions passed through my mind, terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came in my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Now interpret it for me. Nebuchadnezzar had 
full confidence that Daniel could interpret this dream. But what I want you to see here is Daniel is tactful and chooses his fights and chooses what he will stand up against. You see, first he calls him Belteshazzar. Daniel would really like to be called by his, by his Hebrew name. Not Belteshazzar, which stands for pagan god. He's been made the chief magician, chief of the magicians. He doesn't want to be called a magician, and I guarantee you he really doesn't want to spend a bunch of time with these guys. But as we live in pagan cultures, there'll be times that we'll work right alongside unbelievers, right? And we may even be put over and have to supervise unbelievers, and Daniel doesn't seem to be fighting that. And, and then Nebuchadnezzar even says, the holy gods. Daniel doesn't stop in and say, hey, whoa, wait a minute. There are no gods. There's one God. One God. In him we live and have all our being. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't attack the king for every little thing. No, he's... He's tactful and he chooses the time and the place and how to interact with people. Can I tell you, sometimes we do a lousy job at this. In the past, there was a minister who I don't think would mind me telling this because I think his, his attitude has changed. And an unbeliever came in to the church and this person walked up, it was a lady, and she said, when is X shower going to happen, a wedding shower? And she addressed him as pastor. A lot of people do. They say, pastor, when's X going to happen? And he flew off the deep end. And he jumped all over her and said, I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. I'm a minister. I'm a preacher. But I'm not a pastor. You shouldn't call me a pastor. And he just lights into this woman. I happen to know that woman's family. She turned. She walked out the door, David. And she's never entered the church since then. Folks, we're going to have to choose our battles. And we're going to have to talk with wisdom and tact all the time. Now, yes, I understand the difference between the positions of an elder and a preacher, okay? But we have to use wisdom and tact in our conversation. See, too often in, in our culture, we want to win the debate, but we lose the conversation. And folks, it's more important to keep people talking and keep people engaged in talking about Christian things and spiritual things than it is to win the debate. Because if we don't win the debate in the right tone, we'll never have the opportunity to speak again. If you understand that, just shake your head, yes. All right, you got that? 
Daniel is a person who wants the best for Babylon. He wants the best for the king. And he picks and chooses the battle that he enters into based upon what he believes is best for Israel, for Babylon, and for the king. All right, we'll keep moving. There are visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood three in the middle of the land. Stood before me, excuse me, three. Stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew as large and as strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on its was food for all. Under, under it the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From every creature it fed. In the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked up, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots be bound with iron and bronze and remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him, suddenly it turns from a tree to a man, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him. The decision is announced. It's still the messenger speaking. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. Instantly, Daniel knows what this means. And he's standing before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is not a guy that you want to make angry. And he also knows there are more evil people out there other than Nebuchadnezzar. And if this happens to Nebuchadnezzar, what's going to happen to us? Because we're going to be in captivity for 70 years. What's next if this happens to Nebuchadnezzar? And visibly, he must be shaking. He must have looked terrified. If it was me, I'd just go white. If it was on, it'd just be a paler shade of brown. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. They've already come to a relationship. Isn't this incredible? That this guy who's been drawn away into captivity by this king and all these terrible things done to him because of this king, and they already have a relationship 
where the king says, hey, don't, Daniel, don't let this bother you. Daniel then says, Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Do you see this? Daniel cares about the king even after he's been drugged off into captivity. Everything that's been sacred has been defiled by him. Yet he is still respectful to the king. Verse 20, Daniel starts to tell the dream. He continues to tell the dream, reiterate the dream. And you've heard, you demand. Well, in this, Daniel says, you decree. What happened to the tree? The tree represents you. You are that huge tree. And you're feeding the whole world. And everything is, is being fed by you in this beautiful kingdom that you have. But you're going to be cut down. Go to, chapter, go to verse 24 with me. Then he says, this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the Most High as issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and give them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. You're the tree. You're going to be cut down to a stump. And you're going to live in the wild like an animal until seven seasons pass. Most commentators think that means seven years. We don't know for sure. But it's going to be a long time. It's going to take a long time to get your attention, Nebuchadnezzar. And then Daniel does something incredibly courageous. Verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, it may be that then, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. We're looking at an extraordinary, courageous man. When's the last time that you gave advice to somebody who didn't really have your best interest at heart? When's the last time you gave advice that was difficult to a boss, to someone who had power over you, to someone who had political power and sway over you? When's the last time that you went to them and you gave them godly advice? Now, I'm not saying go, give, go out there and run out and be the church policeman of everything everybody says, but there are times in life when people are making mistakes 
that's going to hurt them, that's going to damage them and the people around them. And many people are going to pay the price if they don't realize what's going on. And then it's time to give them godly advice. Will we have the courage to stand up and give them that advice humbly and graciously? Not because we like to tell them, but because we have their best interests at heart. Those who have a problem with ego and arrogance, look what we need to start doing. We need to start renouncing our sins. The word renounce is to formally declare one's abandonment. If our egos and pride begin to get too big, folks, Keith needs to renounce my sin of arrogance. I need to admit it. But you know what? I can't admit it if I don't recognize it. If I don't recognize my sin and my arrogance and my ego, then how am I about to renounce it? See, that's one of Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He doesn't even realize how arrogant he is. Not too long ago, I saw someone in, in, in the church get really upset and really mad about something and lash out at others about something. And then, just a few weeks later, that person did the same exact thing. Why? Because they didn't even recognize the arrogance. They didn't even recognize what they were doing. Folks, if we're going to change our ways, we're going to have to take inventory of who we are and what we're about and our sins in our lives. Can I also tell you that I find a correlation in humility and serving the oppressed? And a correlation between not serving the oppressed and arrogance. Can I say that again? I see a correlation between those who serve the oppressed and humiliation. There is a correlation. And I can show it to you. If you come to me, I can show you godly people who have humility in their life, and I know they have humility in their life because every time that it's time to serve the oppressed, they're there. And I can turn around and I won't tell you who these people are, but I can, I can tell you that I know for sure that those who are arrogant don't show up to serve the oppressed. There's a correlation between the two. And can I tell you this morning, if you're not the kind of person who shows up to serve the oppressed, you might need to rethink your egos. Church, if I'm going to improve on my humility, I'm going to have to recognize my arrogance. And unfortunately, Neb doesn't heed his advice. Verse 28. 
And all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's writing, he's writing this story out for us. This is his personal testimony. This, is, this must be very hard for Nebuchadnezzar to pen. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power? And for the glory of my majesty, <clears throat> I, my, mine. You see the ego problem? And as these words were coming off his lips, a voice came from heaven and said, I told you, I'm paraphrasing. It's a Keith Castleman version. I told you this was coming. I told you this was hap going to happen. And sure enough, it did. And King Nebuchadnezzar lived like an ox out in the field, was driven out, lived like a wild animal. It says that hairy feathers like an eagle. Preston, I don't know what hairy feathers look like. Do you? I, I've seen some of those chickens who have fuzzy hair on their legs. I'm guessing it's like that, but bigger. And he grew claws like a bird. And he lived out like a wild man. And he lost all of his power, all of his mind to communicate and to deal with his kingdom and nobody would have anything to do with him at the end of that time I Nebuchadnezzar raised verse 34 my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored now I want you to listen as Nebuchadnezzar comes into his right mind for the first time in his life then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are, regarding as, are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of this earth. No one can hold back from His hand or say, What have you done? No one, he is so good, he's so merciful, he's so gracious that nobody gets to say, God, what have you done here? Because he's God and he's sovereign and he has our best interest at heart and he's trying constantly to fix Nebuchadnezzar and Keith Castleman's humility and make us right. At the same time, my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor will return to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. He prospered in his humility, stumped in his arrogance, prospering in his humility. Have you ever wondered if maybe the reason you weren't prospering was you were arrogant and that if you just have a little bit of humility in your life and realize who God is and what he's done for you, you might live a more prosperous life. 
My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Can I just point out here, how many of you think that Nebuchadnezzar was most out of his mind in the field eating grass? No. He wasn't most out of his mind there. Where Nebuchadnezzar was most out of his mind, Jack, was when he was on the rooftop in in Babylon, looking over the kingdom and thinking that he was in charge and that he had created this and this was all about him. That's when he was craziest. And he was the most sane the moment that he looked up into heaven and realized who was in charge. Some of you may be thinking, well, Keith, I'm, I'm well-educated, I've learned, and I'm smart, and I am who I am because my intelligence. Who gave you the mind to think in the first place? Well, Keith, I have these talents. I'm a beautiful singer. Who do you think gave you your voice? Well, I, I'm successful, I've got a great career. No, God blessed you in a nation of prosperity where at times like now, there's only a 4% unemployment rate. What if you were born in Uganda where there's like a 34% unemployment rate where the life expectancy is about 59 years or less where Less than 30% of the entire population got any, any kind of high school education. How do you think you'd be doing now? No, God blessed you. And you are where you are because God blessed you. Amen? Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person, Keith. And people respect me. And... And I, I really am part of a, a, a church that, that honors me and respects me, and I'm honorable. Really? What if I go talk to your kids? What if I go talk to them about how you've priority, prioritized your money over the years? What if I talk to your children about your influence on them? What if I talk to them about your temper or your impatience, or your greed, or your lust. What about then? What if I told you I've already talked to them? And I'm getting ready right now to read what they said. Boy, I don't know about you, but David, I'd start getting really humble really quick. Folks, here's a few takeaways, and then the sermon is yours. Sanity is knowing that there is a God. You're accountable to him and living a life accordingly.
Number two, God will pursue us even when we are on the crazy train. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar needs Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and he doesn't even realize it. He's there. If you look at the end of chapter 1, Daniel and his buds are blessed with knowledge beyond anyone else. Why? So they can help run Babylon and they can bring blessings to the city. Chapter 2, Daniel interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because he needs to realize that Daniel represents the Most High God. And he's just now getting around to it. Chapter 3, God performs miracles in front of Nebuchadnezzar so he can realize that there's a God that not even Nebuchadnezzar can touch in power. Chapter 4, he sends Nebuchadnezzar to humility school. And now he gets it. Folks, even when you're on that crazy train of thinking you're all that and that you've made yourself, and some of you quite honestly, and I've been there too, and maybe Anna might tell you I get there, where we think we're our own gods. And when we're on that crazy train, God's right there alongside us trying to help us along. And we can take the long way, Don, or we can take the short way. Some of us are bullheaded. And I told my class this, this morning in Sunday school class, wish you were there. It's only a 10-day walk from the edge of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. But it took them over 40 years because it took them 40 years to get the humility right. This morning I need to ask you, is it taking you 40 years to get your humility right? And your ego under control? Number three, sometimes God has to cut us down to ground us. The Latin root for humble is humus, earth, dirt. When we're humbled, we're well grounded. Do you understand that? God wants us to be well grounded. Nebuchadnezzar became like a stump because he needed to become well-grounded again. Ever wonder if we're dealing with hardships in our lives because God's trying to ground us again? Remember what Neb says back in verse 2? It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and the wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Nebuchadnezzar realizes after this event, while he's writing the letter, what God has done for him. Yes, it hurt. Yes, it was painful. Yes, I didn't like living out like an ox in the field for seven years but it made me better now I have some humility and now I know the one true God Hebrews tells us my son do not take light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose your heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he 
what? Loves. And chastise everyone he accepts as his son. God loves you enough, church, to discipline you. He has your best interest at heart. And those he loves, he treats with discipline, not because he enjoys something bad, because he wants to mold you and make you into a mature person. Anybody recognize this strapping young man? No, it's not Preston. Though I imagine Preston had a bathing suit just like that when he swam in the White River as a boy. This is Ronald Reagan. Reagan tells a story as he was a teenager in a little place called Dixon, Illinois. He was a lifeguard on the Rock River. And one day, while he was lifeguarding, a young lady, an attractive girl, he says, popular in the town in Dixon, waves at him from the water. And he waves back. And he smiles. And she waves again, David. And she waves back. And he turns and gives his attention to another part of the river. And his chest began to swell And his head began to spin about how good-looking he was and how charming he was that this really popular, good-looking girl would wave wave to him in front of everybody to get his attention. And that's about the time that people started running past him in the opposite direction that he was looking. When he turned and looked, she was drowning he was try, she was trying to get his attention, that she desperately needed him. Reagan then admitted it was his ego that almost cost her her life. It was Reagan's ego that almost cost this woman her life. What he took as an act of admiration was really a cry for help. But that's what pride does, right? Pride so clouds your vision that you can't tell the difference between admiration and people signaling you for help in their desperation. That's what Neb's problem, wasn't it? That was Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He was so full of himself that he couldn't even recognize the oppressed in his nation. This morning, I need to ask you a question. Are you so caught up into yourself that you can't recognize those around you pleading for help in desperation? I want to say a prayer. And I'm just going to give 30 seconds of this prayer for you to pray to God to humble you and that he doesn't have to stump you for you to prosper. Can we do that this morning? Let's just spend 30 seconds, 30 seconds in silent prayer and you praying for humility.